Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Set Show. That's the Sports Entertainment Talk with Connor Falk. That's me, Ernesto Casillas. Today we're here to talk to an actor, Sean Summers. Now, we watch television, we watch movies, we understand, we love these people, we respect them. They give us the stories that help our days get better and the movies that help our days get longer. Now, Sean, you know, tell us about the life of starting in the audition room to actually ending up on set and making this great art. What's it like, man? Welcome to the Set Show. Hey, Connor. Thanks uh, for having me. You're so cool. I, uh, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah, in fact, uh, quick side note, if you don't mind a detour. No worries. I just think it's funny because I met you in the context of a production where we were kind of uh, thrown in the mix, and I was trying to go to the bathroom, and I didn't read a sign and was <laughs> trying to figure out how to know if someone was in the room, and you're all like, dude, are you, are you a moron? <laughs> There's a sign right there. And I kind of got all offended, and but... Uh, I realized you were a cool guy, and we, we hit it off ever since, so... Yeah, well, look, luckily, you know, I, I don't want to say, you know, listeners out there, I didn't call you a moron, I just, as people know, as you know on set, the way we have, we have those, you know, those nice bathrooms out there, the trans, transportive ones, and yeah. uh, they have a light, so, you know, when the light is on, then you know someone's in there, it should, if everything's working right, so... Right, right. I, no, I, no, you never actually said anything rude. Yeah. Just, I, this was my own self-assessment of and uh, you just happened to be around when I was feeling embarrassed, so no. I put it on you. It's called projection and acting. No, absolutely. Well, I remember that day. We were on Rizzoli and Isles, and I think it's funny because the bathrooms are like that, but, you know, you're working hard, you got a long day, and then you realize, oh, I have to go, you know, nature's calling, I have to go ahead and use the restroom, and, you know, you're trying, sometimes you're not looking for a light here or there, and you're trying to use it, so it was certainly a funny situation, and, yeah. uh, you know, this is kind of an example of L.A., of working on set, of the kind of relationships you can make, you know, you kind of throw in the fire, as you said, you have those long hours, you can kind of make some good relationships with some good people so i'm happy to have you on the show man we're going to talk some sports we're going to talk some entertainment and overall we're just going to talk and hopefully have some banner that the listeners like so your life as an actor man you know our listeners might not know much about that lifestyle let us know what it's like the day in the day out well so you said starting the audition room well it's that's probably my least favorite um i guess workout room in in acting um yeah. but i will say this i i think that it should be treated like you're in the gym and um you know i, I think any actor who's taking it seriously eventually finds themselves in some classroom somewhere trying to practice their craft uh with other like-minded people and uh, in my case i think you know learning about you know, rehearsing, constantly focusing on the work mm. has been a big shift for me. So I used to go to auditions and think, like, when I first arrived in L.A., I had one of these opportunities thrown in my lap where I auditioned for a pilot, a lead role on a pilot uh, for ABC. Okay. And I remember showing up on the studio lot thinking, wait, this is ABC, ABC? I thought that was just, like, some spinoff group that wished they were ABC. And, you know, I'm there with uh, a, a lady named Sandy Logan, who at the time was in charge of, like, 15 shows on that network. And it was a big deal. And I remember going in the room and, you know, just outside all these actors saying, who's your agent? Who's your agent? Like, how did you get this audition? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't have one. Yeah. So I go in there and it's Sandy Logan herself is in the room. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Why am I here? And she said, you know, sometimes we take a chance on somebody. But I was at that point so freaked out that I locked up and gave the worst performance. It was the worst audition anyone could ever imagine. I mean, it was so horrible. Mm. Anyways, um, I thought I'd blown all my chances. That was my, my one chance and that it was all over. But that was before I figured out that I was doing acting because I wanted to do acting. Yeah. Um, meaning like I wasn't doing it so that I could be successful. I was doing it because I enjoyed it. Yeah. 
And once I started to figure that out, um, it made a big difference. In fact, you met me only after I had already figured that out. I, I left L.A. Uh, my sister had died of cancer in 2009, and I gave up acting and came back to it uh, with this realization that, hey, why did I start doing it in the first place? It wasn't so that I could be successful, quote-unquote, but to, uh, to follow my heart and do what I found fulfilling, and so that's what that's what I do. And and interestingly enough, the last few weeks I've been auditioning on pilots, uh, which has been a shift for me, just based on my resume. It's kind of put me in a position where I can do that kind of thing. Um, and I've been not satisfied with my auditions, and I had to ask myself, well, what am I doing? And I realized I'm trying to get jobs, and that's death to an actor. Yeah, it's death to the arts. So I kind of regrouped, and on Sunday night I had an audition coming up on Monday. Um, I said, you know what? Tomorrow I want to go in the room and, and treat it like it's just an, uh, a gym I'm visiting and I'm, I'm doing a workout, I'm doing my thing, I'm doing my routine and uh, if I get a good workout it's because I put the effort in if I don't, it's because I didn't and that's all I can that's all I can bring so I went with that mindset and I did really pretty well and I was, I was pleased with what I did, I didn't really know if they liked it but I didn't care uh, you know, so they called me back this was a, uh, for a video game trailer okay and so then yesterday, I did the follow-up, and I was thinking, okay, I want to do, do something different than I did last time, because I didn't really feel like I explored as much as I wanted to. And so I went back in, I explored a little bit more, and I was so happy with what I did. I was like, wow. So, you know, today they gave me a call. I'm on the bail for that particular spot, oh, which that? means there are about two or three of us that they'll make a final decision on in the next day or two. So, so much waiting. It's a life of, you know, hurry up to wait. Waiting on the phone, yeah. waiting in audition rooms. And I think it's funny that you said that once you realize that you're doing it because you love it, because one thing I've learned, you know, you can look at it like a business, but ultimately if you're going to do an actually acting, you're going to be a thespian, an artist, you absolutely have to love it because it is a tough job. And like you said, you can really start to get into your head. You know, you had that first audition and, and maybe the moment got a little big, bit too big for you because you didn't know exactly how many more moments will come down. You know, you think every, this could be my one chance and it's not going to work out if I don't succeed. But in this business, if you stay there, you know, I've heard, there's a quote from George Clooney I heard many years ago about there's a natural filter system in the business. So if you really love it, people stay around long enough, and obviously, maybe not for everyone, but eventually, I think you find your place and you find your niche because people want to watch people and react to people in performances that are doing what they love and being themselves. And, that's that's what, true. and I think eventually that shows. So I think it's really interesting that you talked about that, you know. So, I mean, okay, so on the addition rooms now, you know, I've heard... You know, about being, you know, one thing I've learned, maybe it's just me, but, you know, I'm kind of doing the host thing, so that's more about being yourself, but ultimately you're acting, but how far can you really go? Isn't there a point where you're just, you're, you are certainly doing versions of yourself as an actor, would you say that at all? So you kind of have to find who you are on screen? Is that something you'd agree with? Well, I think you do find, you do find, I guess, different, uh, aspects of your personality that sometimes you're not aware of mm. while you're acting. So I think you're onto something there. And I, I think, you know, one of my acting coaches would agree with you that you are, you're exploring, you know, aspects of your personality. But I also think that if you think about it too much and think, okay, I'm trying to discover myself, it kind of sometimes stymies the process. Um, meaning like you just want to be the character and you're naturally going to come into it. Okay. You know, yeah. That's how it's just going to work, you know. And one thing that's interesting, a process that my my current acting coach has been drilling into my brain is the concept of being aware of what you're feeling and putting that in the work right now, being in the moment and when you do that, it always works. 
doesn't even matter what the objective of the scene is. It's going to work at some level. Like if it's totally connected to how you feel, people will relate and people, you know, it's amazing actually. Like that whatever the script is, whatever the story, if you are coming from a true emotion or a true feeling that you're, you're experiencing and it's organic like that and everyone can feel it. And so it doesn't matter. And like it, it somehow makes sense within the context of the words. Absolutely, because we're constantly sold things, you know, from co- commercials and whatnot, people on the street. So I think people want to be able to relate with someone and not think that they're being sold. You know, don't actually yeah. actually try to be yourself a little bit. Try to help me out because I like to be able to relate with this character. You know, yeah. so try to show me a version of myself. So, okay. Now, that's now really- having said that, I do understand that directors have an objective, an idea, and they want to, you know, lead you in a direction. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't have some be directable yeah. or be able to deviate from, you know, what you're feeling, I guess, and, and say, Hey, well, I, I'm, I'm saying you can manipulate your feeling and say, Hey, you know, this is what I'm going to feel in this situation and let things affect you within the script, within the story that you're living in or creating, uh, which is a cool experience and it's very freeing, you know? So, but, but sometimes, you know, it can be scary. Like I did a role on uh, something called Jack and Cocaine last year. Okay in which I played a rapist, and I, it took me two days to recover from that. I felt so dark and horrible. Mm. And yet, it's not like I'm actually a rapist. No. Yeah. Um, and in that scene, it's not like I'm... I wasn't actually... When I got angry in that scene, I wasn't thinking, you know, I'm going to rape this person. I was thinking about something else, which is fine. Uh, but my th- my thoughts were dark and intense and angry. And so... For me, that just took it took me to a place I hadn't expected, and then eventually I realized that I just dropped in the scene and I was the rapist. And I don't, you know, I don't know when that happened. And you know, when we finished, you know, all I know is that the uh, writer contacted me the next day and said she saw my footage and that bile was coming up in her throat. And I said, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And she's like, "No, no," because it was so authentic to what I was writing about because it was about her life, you know. So wow, okay. You know, but but. But I guess my point is, you you don't have to do those roles, and you can choose which roles you want to do. And I'm figuring that out. Yeah, I'm glad I did that so that I know what I don't want to do. I don't really enjoy those roles. I uh, I just recently worked on a spot with a guy named Rob Schneider. Yes, Rob Schneider, awesome. Yeah, and uh, I really enjoyed that that role, and I enjoyed the script. In fact, well, was I was, was this a- uh, Undateable John or Polaris? No, those are so. Those ones I those are films I worked on uh, last year as okay. well, and they're they're coming out. Pol- Polaris is um, it, that's a name change actually. Uh, okay. Was called the Divine Order. It's about a it's about a cult. It's a pretty much a horror film um, okay. put together by my friend Andy Gates and uh, you know and his backer who um, I think works at MGM or something like that. But they're they're putting together. Um, I should know his name. I do. It's somewhere in my brain. Um, I'll tell you in a second, but but basically they they put together a little horror film and um, one of their actresses at one point I guess they gave her free reign to to decide who her husband was going to be uh, who was going to be the father of this kid that was the main character being uh, recruited by this cult and uh, she said that she wanted me to do it so I didn't audition for that. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's great when that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Patrick O'Bell, that's the guy that's doing Polaris. He's a really, really sweet guy. Um, but I, um, I basically on that one, I, I just it was fun. It was it was fun to try something out, practice uh, 
working with a smaller group. But, you know, it's funny because um, I, I'm learning so much. So I'm getting better and better as an actor. And part of that becomes it comes from just trusting yourself and mm. allowing yourself to explore and fail and fail majorly. Like, I, it's so, so I have to back up a little bit. When I first came back to L.A., I was fortunate enough to be um, mentored by a guy who's very successful as an actor. And um, he put me together with an acting coach who I then was studying with. And he actually paid for me to study with this lady for like a year and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah. And through that process, and this is actually post, I think I'd started that when I met you, but I, I was new in that uh, vein. But but I now have, have worked with her so much, it's starting to actually affect my work. And it's kind of like she compares it to learning to walk. It takes about two years to learn to walk effectively okay. for most kids or some kids. You know, maybe maybe some quick ones do it in a year. Um, but it takes a while, and there's a lot of falling involved. And the reason that we, that we make the effort and, and actually cross that distance uh, of learning, that learning gap is because we want to walk so badly. It gives us freedom, right? The same thing applies to acting Absolutely. in my case. Absolutely. I love it so much that I'm willing to fail and suffer and bleed in my soul so that I can be freed okay. and, and do greater work. Um, well, that's really that's, that's super interesting, man. I, I, hearing it from that point of view, I don't think we, we haven't had a performer yet on the show to talk about that. So, I mean, you know, you have that you have that more hardcore, little darker role, as you said, as the father of the uh, the cult guy. Now, in Undateable John, what was your role in that? And what was the name in that? Was it, it wasn't Connor, was it? Uh, yeah, no, it is Connor. Good call. Oh wow. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's your name. Yes. So, interesting. Um, originally that was a name change. Originally that wasn't the name of the script, but I liked what the, it, they ended up with. Yes, me too. Um, and I actually auditioned for that role. And if you were to look up my IMDb, the, the one video clip that you find there is actually the audition that landed me that job. I just put that clip up there. Oh, that's really interesting. So yeah, listener, you can go ahead and find Sean Summers' resume and the reel that he got that booked him undateable John in his IMDb, Sean yeah. Summers. Yeah, and the way that worked was I basically filmed it in my friend's kitchen. He actually is an actor who's much more productive than me. His resume is much, much bigger than mine. But, you know, uh, he's always been supportive of me. And so, you know, he, he, he was patient enough to record uh, however many takes it took us to get what I felt comfortable with sending on. And the nice thing was the writer uh, contacted me after seeing that audition and said that she was in tears watching that because, again, it was something close to their, their heart. So um, I've been fortunate a couple times with writers connecting with whatever I managed to connect with in the script and, you know, and, uh, and brought it to life for them and connected them with their own memories, which is kind of cool. Well, that's amazing because without, without a good script, without the words, the actor becomes unnecessary. You know, so without that, and the fact that the fact that you're connecting with them shows good that you're doing a good job, and that you know you're seeing the motivation of someone who put this pen to paper, you know, who typed yeah. these words down, and, and their motivation of doing that. And speaking of motivation, um, you know, you know, growing up in Maryland, you said you're from. What were some actors, maybe some directors, some films that kind of got you that that brought you here? I think maybe you know, maybe it's just me, but a lot of people I've worked with behind in front of the camera. You watched a movie, you watched an interview, you watched a TV show that you thought, wow, I'd really like to do that for a living. What was something like that for you? You know, um, <clears throat> interestingly enough, I don't know if it was films so much that made me want to do uh, acting for a living, but maybe plays, okay. uh, of all things. 
But I will say that, you know, even people like Jim Carrey, uh, you know, Dumb and Dumber, stuff like that, I, I love comedy. And I remember just goofing off and, and playing around and pretending to be him and just enjoying how much fun that was and how much a ki- of a kick my family got out of that, even just as like a little kid. Yeah. But I also, um, you know, I will say people like Dustin Hoffman, I was really impressed with him from a very young age. And I just thought, wow, if I could do something, like he played a woman in Tootsie yeah. uh, pretty effectively. But, uh, you know, Rain Man, I mean, that guy's just talented. And, and he works so hard, and it was obvious to me. You know, you know, I want to touch on something, if it's all right. You know, with Tootsie, uh, talking about Dustin Hoffman, there was a clip that I saw, AFI, you know, the, the American Film Institute, and it was about, you know, when he got his award for the AFI Achievement Award, right? And he okay. talked about his preparation for Tootsie with Sidney Pollock, and that, you know, he had to wear this outfit, and that he had, you know, changed as a woman, and went, they, went, they went through so many different variations of how they should dress him, because ultimately... He, he wasn't very attractive, you know, and, and, and they, didn't, they didn't want it to be exactly like, okay, let's make sure this doesn't eat, it, you know, they're going to figure out it's a guy, it doesn't often dress as a woman, but let's try to make sure that it might be a passable in some way as a female in New York City. And Dustin Hoffman said this interview actually brought him to tears a little bit. He said that, you know, he looked at this woman, he thought, wow, he's like, uh, you know, she's not attractive, I would never want to date her, you know. And then he started thinking about all the women, all the people in his life that he had maybe disregarded in a way, maybe not given the time to, because he didn't find them attractive in that way. You know, that judgment that he had of somehow that we get from media, from whatnot, of what we think is judging of what's supposed to be beautiful in society, right? And, yeah. uh, and that made him really sad. And he actually started to tear up thinking, man, how many people have I missed out on? You know, how many opportunities of great people, of human beings, because I was judging with these shallow-minded things that I miss out on. And I just will always remember that. It's one of those things that you actually even post on your Facebook from YouTube. And I just wanted to bring that up when you brought up Dustin Hoffman, one of the favorite actors of mine. That's a great point. Yeah, Kramer versus Kramer. I mean, so many great movies of his. Uh, Confidence, I don't know if you ever saw that one. Plays a bad guy in an Edward Burns movie. Um, Yeah, great, great guy of mine. And speaking of Jim Carrey, does that mean Dumb and Dumber is your favorite of all the Jim Carrey movies? Probably. Okay. You know, I mean, maybe not though. I, I just I just brought it up because that was one I remembered as a kid. You know, mimicking him for that. But you know, no, I don't think that's necessarily my favorite. No, it's probably my favorite because it's my first favorite of his. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but I'm glad you brought up that point because I, 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 you know, it's not just women we do that with. We we make everyone quick yeah. judgments on people for all the wrong reasons. I do it all the time. Um, what was I going to say? So, so back to Undateable John, I was going to say that that was a cool project because it was a passion project, um, and it was funded by a lady named uh, Joan Jett. If any oh, absolutely. fans out there yeah. know who she is, I love rock and roll. That's a song. She Joan sings. Jett drop on the set show. I appreciate it, man. I love it. Oh, is that cool? Are we allowed to say that? Yeah, no. absolutely. We haven't had a, anybody who had any direct contact or worked on anything with Joan well, Jett so you know, far. She actually, so. we, we were on set together. She. Um, she, she and I never were on set together, but I definitely at the at the table read, they played a a, a clip of her speaking because um, she had a, a role that she put herself in, um, and I thought, wow, she's actually a pretty talented actor, mm. um, which doesn't surprise me because she's a great human being, and I think that translates pretty easily. In fact, I was really impressed with Daryl Hannah at the table read because she was just so genuine, and like I remember just listening to her voice talking and thinking her talent is innate. Yeah, it's just who she is. It was really cool, and I was really, really pleased to to be there with her and how kind and 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 um, classy she was with everyone there. 
Um, well, that's amazing because you, you grew up, you know, I did watching John Candy, Tom Hanks, and Ron Howard splash with Daryl Hannah. And then, you know, soon enough, from Maryland to Los Angeles, you're sitting at a table read with her. And at that point, you're peers. You're working yeah, together. Yeah, I know. It was a little weird. And plus, I have a friend who's a, like a, a multi-Emmy award-winning actress. She's uh, the lead on a show currently on ABC. Mm. And she she actually said to me when she knew I was going to be at a table read with Daryl Hannah, hey, if it... If it seems appropriate, do you mind just saying uh, hello? Uh, and I loved see, I loved working with her on this other thing because I haven't seen her since then. Yeah, you know. But I just thought that was funny because I'm like, what does my world come to that I'm like <laughs> passing notes between actors that I would never have dreamed of meeting because meeting because I was a kid when they, you know, when I was watching them. So. Um, it's absolutely cool, man. It's absolutely cool how life works sometimes. And if yeah. you if you just if you if you keep if you keep the road, you know, if you if you stay well, true and, to yourself. It's true, and you know, I wasn't even going to get a part on Undateable John. I actually, I sent the audition, the, the but the writer liked it so much. Like I said, she was crying when she saw it. She actually wrote in a part for me because my resume wasn't strong enough to to land the role that they wanted to give me originally, and they decided to to move it in another direction. But they wrote in a part for me, and so that's just you doing it because you're passionate about it. And I find that every time I actually, so like with the Rob Schneider thing, I'd given up a little bit on auditioning because I was getting frustrated with it and I realized, you know what, it's because I'm not, I'm trying to get jobs and uh, I said, you know what, I'm only going to audition for stuff I want to and I'm only going to do it the way that I want to do it and I don't care if I get a job because I'm already satisfied with the work I did. So I made a tape for this uh, project that Rob is doing called Real Rob. I didn't think anybody would watch it. I thought it would go into a black hole. No one would ever see it. Um, so I made this tape for me and I didn't quit until I'd made something I felt good about and I was like okay I'm glad I did that today because that's what I do and you know when he when I saw him on set he's like Sean I'm so glad me and my wife were so happy when we saw your tape because we thought we'd have to extend casting on this one it's a very hard role to cast and I was like oh cool you know but the nice thing was so I, cool, I did it because I loved the I loved the, the role I loved the script and I loved what I did I didn't think anyone else would ever even see it, much less like it. So then when I went, I could just be myself. And Rob and I got along really well, and I loved working with him. We'll probably work again together, so that's going to be great. Well, that's, that's awesome. That's not on IMDb yet, though. No, Rob, Rob Schneider, dude, Deuce Bigelow. I mean, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I mean, so many awesome – I mean, Demolition Man, uh, Judge Dredd. I grew up with Rob Schneider. Yeah. That's awesome. They're doing actually... reshoots right now, so that will be uh, forthcoming. I'm in episode eight of this pilot he's making himself called Real Rob. Okay. It's a little bit different because he's doing an hour-long comedy, which I don't think that'll work out too well. Don't tell him I said that, but I guess now it's out in the open. <laughs> we'll see. But I admire his spunk and the fact that he's willing to try something different and that he's following his passion because that's exactly how I ended up connecting with him in the first place. And I love the man. He is so nice. What okay. a great guy. What's well, good to hear. I'm glad to hear that Rob Steiner is a good guy. You know, we're good. To, I, I like that you said about passion because another passion that you, you – I know that you know I have being friends on Facebook. I mean, everyone knows this. I'm a huge uh, sports fan in general, football, basketball, soccer. So at this yeah. part of the show, I usually go ahead and ask my listeners, my fans, you know, sorry, our, our guests as well, who, who's your team, what's your sport, give me a little of your background, uh, what are you into? Okay, so my sport is, uh, I'd say, football, okay. NFL. Um, you know, and I know that a lot of people are more college than NFL, but whatever. <laughs> I... Um, you know, I grew up a Redskins fan, and okay. you know that's just an unfortunate thing for people who grew up that way because you know it <laughs> just didn't turn out too well for us in the last little while, no. meaning in the last like decade and a half, <laughs> but or maybe twenty years. Here's the thing. Oh yeah, it's been like more than twenty years since Anyways, Joe Gibbs. Yeah, it's been is, a while. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm a, I've dated myself. I'm a little bit older, but 
I've had two careers. I was a, um, I, uh, I, I had a Series 7 certified before in Day Trader. Um, oh, okay. And then I switched to acting, so okay. that's a whole other story you don't have time for. Okay, let me but, ask you, uh, one thing I want to ask you, being a Series 7 and a trader, what's the most, the movie that's the most realistic uh, conveying of that lifestyle as a, as, a, as a stock trader, Wall Street guy? I don't know because I don't watch those types of movies. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm to you okay. I just I want to get a chance to do it. Okay. No worries. Sorry. I would have given you an answer if I had an opinion, but I don't. Okay. Sorry. No worries. Get back to what you're saying then. Okay. So so the problem with the Redskins, unfortunately, and the funny thing is, in about 2011, I I called in. I was living in D.C. at the time. I called in. For, I think to Sports Talk Radio to make a comment that I thought was a salient point about Snyder's effect on the team. And they they said to me flat out, we can't we cannot let you say that actually. And I wondered why are they being so weird about this. And then I realized later that there were, there had been an article that uh, Snyder had sued uh, the paper and the author wow. in 2011, early like in January of that same year. Um, he was so petty that he was suing the paper and the, the author for saying something critical about him. And I thought, okay, so now the word's gotten out and no one wants to mess with that. And I thought, how, how ridiculous and how embarrassing for him that uh, he can't handle that. But the point I was going to make then, I can make with you, which is that even though he's a nice guy and people say that they like him, and even Joe Gibbs had a lot of good things to say, and Joe Gibbs is a classy guy, um, I think the proof is in the fact that Joe Gibbs didn't stay working with him. Yeah. I mean, and the proof is in that Mike Shanahan, another excellent coach, didn't stay there. Uh, you know, they're not going to say bad things about him. Um, probably it's in their contract not to as well. But uh, And it's also very clear that Snyder is very careful about how the media portrays him. But the reality is he is just too involved with the players. And the players have too much license to be immature. And there's just not enough power uh, given to the coaches to run a tight ship and well, he's I, not, I don't have you know i don't have any proof of that well he's not a football guy i think that's one thing you know i'm being yeah, a raider fan al davis did you know he didn't end very well but he was a football guy he was a coach before he was ever gm he was a coach before he was ever an owner so the guy knew the sport and i think guys like dan snyder you know they look at you know even jerry jones played college with his former coach jimmy johnson in arkansas so he had right. some experience at playing football and i think you know football to me it's one of the greatest sports there is because it not only affects you and challenges you mentally you know, phys everyone thinks physically, oh my God, people are getting hit it's so hard, but mentally, you know, going through those two days, you know, for me from the desert going through two days, uh, getting hit basically every day, like it takes a, it takes a toll on your mental capacity and you have to have that heart and that will and just like acting to love it that you want to do it, you know, and eventually the team camaraderie, camaraderie, sorry, I can't talk right now, uh, yeah. and the love of your brothers, you know, if you're bleeding, they're bleeding, you bleed together, uh, you don't you're want right. them to be alone, you know, you, right. you don't want to, you don't want to do any slack. So I think the problem with Snatter is he thinks you buy like stock maybe yeah. you yeah. buy what's the most profitable yeah. and that's going to be yeah. it and there's no team there's no cohesion i agree exactly that's the main problem and I the, agree. There's, a, there's a difference between a high salary player who's looked at yep. as an amazing and a guy who really is a football player right you know right. a guy who just really loves the game and i think sometimes he's had a problem in which guys to pick up right and then that's if you look at gibbs earlier uh rain with the redskins obviously hall of famer yes he took he took mediocre players and together they made a team, yeah. and they were powerful, and and that's just how it works. And you, like you just already said, you know, you got you know high paid players that don't necessarily function together well, and that's where I, I mean I can't point I don't know exactly what he's doing wrong. I think one of the things for him is that he he likes people to like him. 
he's a nice guy. Yeah. He wants people to like him, and maybe he cares too much about that, and maybe the players, you know, he just babies them too much, not because he's trying to ruin anything, but just because he wants everyone to be happy. But unfortunately, you can't have everyone happy all the time. Oh, yeah, well, that's one of those things you would imagine. You'd hope that at his point, being worth that much money in the in the, the spotlight like that, that he would understand that you just can't try to make everyone happy. I mean, even when I was younger, I wanted to, you know, kind of make everyone impressed and happy. And then eventually you learn, like, you're wasting so much time doing things like that and ultimately the only thing that matters is how you feel about yourself you're the one who has to look in the mirror and how your family the ones that you love and respect how they look at you because that's really what matters and you know I bring about Davis a lot you know to me he was just a great football story and a great man in a lot of ways and uh, he had a quote that I've always held on to and it was that if you pay attention and worry and try to make everyone happy about what they think about you and who you are then you will never take a step in life because you'd just be too bogged down by all the drama and just the tension and the uh, the weight the, the unnecessary weight so I think that's one of those things and I think it's interesting you bring up the Redskins uh, quick question if you're watching enough RG3 is he going to come back is the RG3 reign over in Washington or what you asking me yeah well I don't know no I don't, I don't even want to make a prediction okay. I, I, it's, it's so sad to me the whole Redskins I, it's like I shouldn't even have brought him up it's, <laughs> it's just tear filled Okay. Well, no worries. Okay. Well, Sean, okay, you're talking about sports then from there. Are you a, uh, you know, one thing I would tell you, I don't know if you kind of root for your Wizards at all, but it looks like they may be getting a Kevin Durant. He's from that area. He's one of the best players in the league. You got a guy like John Wall on that young team already. Um, I think there's a lot to go for the Wizards. So for you, maybe in the next few years, there might be a reason to get back into Washington basketball, man. That's true. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think I want to say, Sean, where can our listeners, where can they find you? Do you want to, you know, Sean Summers on INDB, are you on Twitter? Are you on Instagram? If you feel comfortable giving that out for other, for future listeners, do you want to give any of that out? I you, do buddy. have Instagram and Twitter, um, mostly because a few people that I work with say that I have to have it. You so kind of do. Um, We're kind of selling ourselves now, right? And that it's a brand, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's so funny. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but you know your uh, your twin is playing the Vision in the next upcoming Ultron movie. I don't know if you know that, so uh, hopefully you get the next wait, audition for that. Who's my twin? I, I happen to think you look a lot like Paul Bettany, sir. I don't know if you've ever heard that okay, before. Okay, yeah, I get that a lot. Okay, yeah. yeah. Speaking fact, of Ultron, I, I hung out with, uh, I hung out with uh, what's his face, Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, at a at a screening of. Derek by Ricky Gervais. Okay. He came over from England to screen one of those episodes here in LA. Awesome. And they did, they did a little conversation with each other after the show and took some questions from the audience. And they were so classy. Um, first of all, I ended up making a comment and having to go to the bathroom so badly that I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of, by the time I got to the front of the line to make a comment, they were lining up at a mic. <laughs> phone. I, 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 I was so... <laughs> urgent that I, I had a hard time getting out my comment and, yeah. and Ricky ended up asking me if I was planted by Conan and Conan was like no 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 you planted him so they kind of played, played off you. a little bit there and finally the guy behind me says if you're not going to ask your question get out of the way you know he was getting stressed out so I said all right never mind I gotta go to the bathroom it's been fun and then I ran out the back and Ricky's like what's just happened here it was really funny <laughs> hey so when nature calls he, man uh, Say what? I said when nature calls, no matter who or yeah. where you are. And afterwards, one of the uh, producers of, of uh, Conan's new show, I didn't know who was a producer, came up to me and said, hey, do you have a card? Do you do comedy? So I guess they thought I was funny. 
on oh. purpose. But I don't do funny on purpose. It just happens sometimes. Well, it's awesome. It's a natural gift, man. I, mean, I think that's cool. One thing of the, uh, the so far, the rhyme and the the overall feeling of, of talking to you so far in your your career has been that you've had a natural it factor, which I talk about that people have picked up on, be it writers, other actors, directors, people you met on set, like myself. Um, so it's really interesting to hear that. So Sean Summers, actor from Los Angeles. This is the set show with Connor Falk. Sean, it, it was amazing having you on, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, you know, now that I'm taking over producer duties, I really appreciate you uh, bearing with me and giving me the time for you to talk about that. Is there anything else you want to say, one final thing to the listeners before we let you go? Um, yes. Enjoy the journey okay. because that's actually all you ever get. I like it. That's into, that's nice. That was that's a good little ending, man. Conclusion. Okay, man. I appreciate it. this. Is Connor Falk with Onescasius with the Set Show at Sports Entertainment Talk, including our interview with Sean Summers, actor. Check us out next week. We have a new guest on SoundCloud at the Set Show on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, yeah, send us some tweets. Let us know if you want to be a guest or whatnot. Anything to talk about. I'm on Instagram at Falcon Media. You can find Sean Summers on, on his IMDb on Twitter as well. We'll go ahead and tweet him out. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Peace out.